So this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about Nehemiah. And earlier in the week, I got real aggressive. I thought I was going to get all the way to verse 18. And I told Jenny, I'm not going to make it to 18. I think I'm only going to make it to 8. So Bolton, I think, says 8. But we're going to make it to 12. So we got, we got kind of two parts that I'm going to try to get through this morning. And as I thought about this, this reflection on we're going to see this preaching of the Word of God and the importance of what we do at church, I'll start with this. It was almost three decades ago, Terry and I were in Los Angeles. We had been invited to the Christian Booksellers Convention. So we were this mom and pop publisher, publishing some books and writing some books for Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Christian Athletes and Coaches. And it's kind of our thing. And you know, at those big conventions that would hold 25, 30,000 people, you could be a, like a big publisher. In fact, next door to us was Zondervan, probably spent 30 or 40,000 for their display. And you could have mom and pop. That was me and Terry. We just had a 12-foot table, put a something cloth over the top. I don't even know what I put behind me, but it was something. Put a few books on the table and thought, this would be great. Remember, Terry loved it because she got to meet Charlton Heston. He, at that time, it voice of the Bible, and she said, boy, that was like meeting Moses. But the most interesting thing for us that day was there was a guy, two guys stopped by our little table, again, just think mom and pop, and what are we doing there, but we're having a great time. And this guy kind of looked at things, looked at the books, and he says, you know, that's really interesting that you're relating the Bible to sports. I've never seen that before. And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm a coach, I was an athlete, it's kind of my thing. A lot of that stuff out there. And he says, well, I'm just really impressed by this. And kind of kind of moved on. And the guy who was with kind of stood there for a minute and then handed me his card. And he said, just so you know, the guy that just moved on there has read the book. And it's a book that's going to change the way America does church. I thought, okay, that's quite a claim, right? I actually knew who that guy was who was there. He wasn't so famous at that moment. But the book was published, sold tens of thousands of books, and actually it did change the way America did church from then on. But I would argue not in maybe the very best way. When he came out with his book on how to do church, there were some things in there that I thought were good and helpful. Like, you know, for sure, when you come in this morning, if you're a visitor, we want to smile and greet you. And there's just common sense things that are okay. But then I got to the preaching section. Instead of preaching maybe a 45-minute expository sermon, it was cut down to... 20, 25 minutes. And the basis of the preaching was on felt needs. So in other words, we're going to change the way we do church, the way we present this to people. And so it hasn't been good. In fact, I watched over the years, in fact, many good churches that thought, hey, we want to do things to keep up with the times. We want to increase our nickels and noses. And we're kind of chasing the wrong things. And we're going to see here in Nehemiah a very different approach to the Word of God see how it impacts our church and why we do what we do. So with that, let's turn to the Word of God, and we'll have it up on the screen, but if you open your Bibles, I think that's a really good idea as well. So Nehemiah chapter 8, and we'll begin in verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they said to Ezra the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which Yahweh had commanded to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women, and all who could understand were listening on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it before the square, which is in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women, 
Those who could understand all the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra, the scribe, stood on a wooden podium, which he had made for the purpose, and besides him stood Matthiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. At the right hand, Padiah, Mishael, Malshai, Hesham, Ashbanadon, Zechariah, and Mishlon his left hand. And Ezra opened this book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed Yahweh, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their voices. Then they bowed low and worshipped Yahweh with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bana, Shara, Jamon, Echabah, Shabbat, Hodiah, Messiah, Keltah, Ezra, Jazabad, Hena, Pela, and the Levites, providing <coughs> understanding of the law to the people, while the people stood in their place. They read from the book, from the law, explaining and giving insight, and they provided understanding of the reading. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites were provided the people with understanding to say to all the people, This day is holy to Yahweh, your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to them who has nothing prepared for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of Yahweh is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. Then all the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate with great gladness, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. This is, uh, I guess you could say, if there is a big idea, a theme, a topic, uh, of this morning. This is what it is. This morning is an emphasis on God's Word is the primary mark of spiritual revival. So when you look around and you wonder why we do certain things maybe at this church, you think about revival, you think about renewal, the things that would help maybe people grow spiritually. It doesn't matter whether it's here, as I bring the Word, whether it's Josh or me or Dan or someone else, you're probably, hopefully, going to hear the Word of God preached. Hopefully, it's a, an approach that's more of a book-by-book, verse-by-verse. Not to say that there's not appropriate times for a topical uh, sermon. In fact, today is that because we're sort of dropping in. I'm doing one sermon, so we're not in a series. But we find it's helpful to be in a series so that you can have the full context and know where we're going. And I'll try to give you a little bit of that this morning. But you also will see in the Sunday School where we teach Romans. Uh, even this morning in our worldview class where Dan Woods stepped in for Josh and taught God and government. A lot of Bible because it all goes back to the Word of God because this is where renewal, revival comes. Sometimes people say, what's so special about our D groups? D, short for discipleship. Nothing special about a name. But hopefully what is special is men and women each week that are reading the Word of God. They're thinking about the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, and not just spectators, but actually on the field involved in reading and studying and applying. And that's what we're going to see this morning. And as I think about MacArthur, maybe his most famous saying I always think about is, the meaning of the text is the text. So if we get the proper meaning today, we, we will have, there will be one meaning, and we'll be able to get that and hopefully apply that this morning. So what is a revival? Let's think about that for a minute, because... I know there was probably a time in my life I thought a revival was maybe I'd go to 
my background was 30 years fellowship of Christian athletes, the parachurch ministry. So sometimes I would go to a big rally and there would be lots of non-believers because you're trying to reach them. And I suppose my mindset three decades ago was, well, I'm praying for revival to break out amongst all these unbelievers. Actually, revival is for the believer. The unbeliever cannot be brought back, but the believer can be revived. And so that's really important. And this is the definition. If you go to Got Questions, a revival refers to a spiritual reawakening from a state of dormancy or stagnation in the life of a believer. So let's think about revival just for a minute and revivals through church history. Uh, you can see a few of these highlighted. That's a picture of John Knox. Uh, he looks pretty much, if you look at any pictures of the reformers, they all look pretty much alike. Uh, nothing too spectacular, just guys, all, all of them, for the most part, are holding the Bible, which is good. But you can see uh, some of these great revivals through the years. You can see there were the reformers. When you look back in the 1500s, and you would see that there are men like Knox, John Knox, Martin Luther, John Calvin. Uh, these were the great reformers that really began to point people back to the Word of God. You can go to the Puritan age, and you can talk about John Bunyan. John Owen, put Jonathan Edwards in that group. And then, of course, the Americans, a great awakening. And you also could put probably Edwards in there and also a great man like George Whitfield. Those are all revivals that took place, and those were revivals that took place among the people of God. Now, this is one of uh, a really good quote from a fine Bible teacher, Dr. James Boyce. You may have heard him on the radio or read some of his books. But this is about John Calvin. I think this sums up what you see in a lot of the revivals. He said, this is John Calvin. He says, Calvin had no weapon but the Bible. Calvin preached from the Bible every day, and under the power of that preaching, the city began to be transformed. As the people of Genova, Geneva acquired knowledge of God's word, were changed by it. The city became, as John Knox later called it, the new Jerusalem from which the gospel spread to the rest of Europe, England, and the world. So there's power in the Word of God, and that is very well said. Just a little bit of context as we're again dropping into the book of Nehemiah. You know, a lot of you have probably been exposed to Nehemiah at some point, and I mean, a lot of churches will go to this when in the middle of a building fund because Nehemiah was a governor. He was a guy that came from uh, Babylon and went to restore the walls of the city of the New Jerusalem. Uh, he rebuilt the temple. He did all of this in 52 days. And I'll show you a picture of it here in just a minute. But needless to say, this was an amazing thing. It's why oftentimes churches will turn to this and like, hey, we're in a building program. And this is a guy that really got it organized. And you see that in the first six chapters of Nehemiah. And it all is good what he's doing. Because basically we know you've you got to have a plan. You've got to work the plan. But I would say this. You can have, and someday we'll probably have a building. We've got a building fund. Someday we're probably going to grow up and need a building. But what's most important is what's heard and preached in the building, not the building itself, right? So I think we all kind of get that. I'm guessing most of you are probably here because you understand that, or you probably would have found a church that has a building. Nothing wrong with a building. If you want a building someday, and we kind of get that we're going to grow up, hopefully someday be a part of that. You see a shift in Nehemiah 7, and we're introduced to Ezra. Ezra is a scribe. Um, a scribe simply means somebody that is a somebody that understands the law. It's oftentimes a judge, somebody who's a priest and a scribe. So not only is he a scribe that carefully makes copies of the Word of God as a scribe, but he's also a priest that can actually teach and preach the Word of God. And on behalf of the people, go to God. 
So Ezra is a really interesting guy because he's been working away here in this, this city for 14 years. And so it hasn't been a lot happening, but as God kind of pairs him up with Nehemiah, we see the shift in chapter 7. And in fact, you even see that in chapter 7, verse 10 of Ezra, it says that Nehemiah had set his heart, his mind on the Word of God. So we've got somebody that has really been working hard. Uh, he's working hard by studying the Word of God. I remember this is a guy in Hastings, and he's no longer there. It's been years ago, but I had a brief lunch with a pastor once many years ago, and as we were talking, he had found out about this is back when the technology had changed and all of a sudden download sermons and that sort of thing. So I remember talking to him and he said, this is great. You know, I've been downloading this particular uh, pastor's sermon. And as I download those, I realize I can just save a whole bunch of time during the week by not studying the word of God and preparing for the sermon. I just recite that and I save all this time. It's crazy, right? I'm just sitting there going, you don't get it back. I would say there is a sanctifying effect that any pastor has during the week. And so even if you are repeating a sermon you've done before or you think you've got it all down, by sitting there and saying the word of God, there is something about that sanctification that takes place in your heart and your mind that is wonderful for somebody who's preaching the word of God. But it doesn't just stop there. That's true for all of us. That's why it's such a big deal for me to try to get people in D groups because I don't want them to miss out on the joy that sanctification but it just reminded me why would a person even think that was a good idea it should be a joy to spend time in the word of God and to really get after it so Ezra was that man in fact those of you are Husker fans you probably are excited about our new coach and you would have noticed that our athletic director said when he was in a coaching search he was looking for a man that was was a grinder somebody that worked hard and that's kind of that idea you know you're on purpose you work hard and you work really hard and you don't got maybe a ton of hobbies. Just think about Ezra like that. This is a man that was going to bring God's word. Let's look at the next slide. This is Jerusalem in the time of Nehemiah. You can see the walls that have gone up here in this, this illustration. It's interesting, isn't it, when you think about walls? Because we all, even today, understand walls are kind of important when you look at the southern border and you think, well, why, do we have, why does anybody have walls? And back in that time, especially important because you didn't have a wall up. Uh, for an army could kind of go in there and just kind of take over so you would having walls up was a really important thing but again the restoration we're looking at as we look at part one this is the way I've kind of parted it together is hearing God's word sparks revival hearing God's word sparks revival now some of what we see here is what I would call instructive Obviously, when you were talking about preaching the Word of God, we're going to see some really good principles here. It's not necessarily all prescriptive. By that, I mean like when you go to a doctor, he says, well, you're sick, and here's, I'm going to prescribe something, that, a pattern for you to do. So again, a lot of this is instructive, uh, not necessarily all prescriptive. And some of you are thinking, okay, coach, that, that, that's good because I didn't want to have to come in this morning and stand here and, for six hours and read the Word of God. Although I think it'd probably do us a little bit of good, wouldn't it? But I remember when I thought about this, I had to talk with Dan Woods about this. In fact, we've got some Nebraska Christian folks that are visiting today. My assistant coach, Tanya, is here. And by the way, Tanya, I'm sure you noticed as you came in, it was a little chilly in the gym. Remember those days? We'd go in and coach, and it'd be Monday morning. It'd be 55 degrees. So if you think cold, just talk to Tanya after service. But thinking about Nebraska Christian, when Dan was the administrator there, there was a time when New Educational Wing had gone up 
And what Dan had decided to do, this is a way to honor the Lord. Because again, we do things that doesn't mean they're so prescriptive, we have to do it exactly the same way every time. So even you'll see in this passage, we'll stand for the Word of God. Well, I don't necessarily have you standing now, but it's not a bad idea to stand some of the time. Well, what Dan did, and I thought it was a wonderful idea for Nebraska Christian Schools, just to kind of dedicate that building uh, for two weeks from about 8 o'clock to about 3 o'clock, he had students sign up. And so about every 20, 25 minutes, there'd be a new student. They'd go out, they'd have a speaker like this, it'd be outside the education wing, and they would read the Word of God. They started in Genesis and went all the way through the Bible. And when school was done, they just repeat the next day until they're through the entire Word of God. So I think, I don't know where Ben teases at, but I think Ben kind of remembers doing that. I don't know if Cassidy remembers that, but you know, at the time I thought that's really cool, you know, because it is just a way to say, we're dedicating this to the Word of God. When I asked Dan about this yesterday, he said there's actually a guy who was a plumber working on the foundation still, the building house is being finished up, and he said, man, that was so great that as I'm back there working all day, I could just hear the Word of God being recited. So anyway, I couldn't help but think about that, because this is sort of the picture we have here. But here's, here's some points I want to make. We've got, as we think about these sections, think about the assembly and the request. Let's look at that first. Now, uh, Todd Tyler and I were having a little pre-sermon uh, prep time, and I, Todd didn't realize, and I'm going to tell you now, this crowd is estimated around 42,000. You didn't know that, did you, Todd? It's, it's like a big crowd. So let's think about Memorial Stadium. It'd be like half of that. If you cut that stadium in half, like that's the crowd. And so what was going on, they were positioned by the water gate. Now, it was probably by a spring, nothing particularly special about the water gate, but it's the location. They would have raised kind of a platform like this made out of wood, and even a podium like made out of wood. But there would have been, you've been facing 40, around 42, to, and maybe as many as 50,000 people. So get that picture kind of in your mind. Now, this is all done without, like, even without this advanced, you know, the speaking, the, 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 mute, the, the sound system we got, right? That's helpful. Imagine if I didn't have this, you'd be going, I, I can't hear it very well. Imagine if it's 42,000 people. So it's a pretty amazing thing that we've got here. But when you look down at this, let's look at this verse, it says, and all the people gathered. So that's that 42,000 some folks. And it also says, and I've highlighted a few things, if you can see it on the slide, and that's me highlighting, that's not actually in the scriptures, as you can imagine. But I've just highlighted a few things, just as things that stand out. Just the way you probably highlight things when you do a Bible study. But I thought about this one man, like what's the significance of one man? This is kind of the idea of unity. Like this, this group has come together as one. Again, my background is coaching, and the thing you love when you're coaching a sports team is when you come together as one. Like you're, when you're one team, you're not divided, you're not split. So they're together at one. You can see there by the water gate. Again, it's Ezra who brings the book. And I almost stole the sermon title, Bring the Book, from Steve Lawson. I heard him preach this in 2006, the Shepherd's Conference. If you want to hear a really good sermon on this passage, download that from the Shepherd's Conference. That's, you know, how some of us have our top ten sermons of all time. That's probably in my top five. But when I heard Steve preach that, it just rocked me because I thought how important it is to, to bring the book. This is what we're seeing happen here with Ezra. This is hopefully what we do every week. Well, verse 2 says, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly. You can see all who understand it, they're all listening. And this is the first day of the seventh month. So it might be important to say this, that during this time, uh, there have been 70 years when there has been captivity in Babylon. So people of Israel 
Uh, you know, they wandered for 40 years, now they're, they were in captivity. Now they're coming out of this captivity, which, which is great, but one of their celebrations that they've not had for 70 years is this Feast of Tabernacles, or maybe Blues, as it's called. And you'll see that also at Nehemiah. So this would be a celebration time, so this will last seven days. And so that's why you got this big kind of crowd here on the first day to hear the word preached from 6 in the morning to about 12 noon. So again, that's at six hours where they're hearing Ezra up on stage preaching. So think like Giant Shepherds Conference. So that's sort of what's going on here as we think about this. By the way, the, the tabernacles were basically little little shacks that they would kind of build, I guess, out of wood and stuff. And it was really kind of a, a, a remembrance of when the people were in the 40 years. They didn't have houses that were fixed. So they would, so in remembrance, they would build something that would be almost like if you were kind of on the road, and that sort of thing. It's, it's just to kind of remind themselves. So they spend the first day the teaching and preaching, and then they spend another six days kind of living in those little huts. It gives you a little bit of this picture, but it's been a long time since they've been able to do this, because normally they would do it about every seven years. Well, look at uh, verse 3, and he read from it. So again, this is the Word of God. And then if you drop down a little bit, you can see I've highlighted all the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. So when they came, they had an attitude of, we're here, we're here to listen. They had ears to hear. I thought about, and if you want to write this down, uh, I think it's a good book for you to read. It's a pretty easy book by Ken Ramey. If you don't get this written down, you can ask me later. But he has a book titled Expository Listening. Not preaching, but listening. And I'll just give you four points if you want to jot it down, but I think there's a so you don't have to read the book. I think it's well worth reading the book. But when I read that book, it made me really stop and think, how do I prepare myself before I come in here into this gym to hear the Word of God preach? Ken simply says, here's the four things. They all start with A. I'm an old coach. I like it when they start with the same letter. But there's an appreciation when you come to hear the Word of God. So a gravity, a feeling that this is not just joke time, this is not silly time, this is not skit time, but you're going to hear the Word of God. There's anticipation, so you prepare your heart and pray. Uh, you don't kind of run in here at the last minute and kind of watch, looking at your phone and everything's kind of going on. Like there should be a time, even maybe the night before on Saturday, when you begin to pray your, prepare your heart. There's attention, another A is attention you exercise discernment. So you should sit there this morning and you should be reading along and you're going, well, if, if I don't see something there, what, what commentary did Gordon get that from or where did he dig that up? So uh, you should be reading with discernment, hearing with discernment, and then application. So it's the, the hear and obey. It's really, when you think about this, it's like a two-sided coin. And we see this this morning that it's not just knowledge that can pop up. In fact, I the chapel for the elementary students of Nebraska Christian this week. And I said to the students, I said, do you guys know what a tadpole is? Most of the students go, I think I kind of know what a tadpole is. I said, don't be a tadpole. So, you know, the kids were like, well, what do you mean don't be a tadpole? And I said, in this sense, spiritually, I said, if you're here at the school and all you have is like blocks of knowledge, you're going to have a big head. And if you don't live it out, if you don't practice it, you don't obey you're going to have kind of a skinny body. So I think he said, think about tadpole, big head, right? Really skinny body. They're like, okay, coach, I got it. So sometimes you got to use those visuals when you're talking to those youngsters. But I think it's not a bad visual for us as a church because hopefully one thing we do is we emphasize knowledge. When you look around, we're starting 
four of us starting out a seminary thing on Monday. We've got lots of opportunities at Sunday school. These things are all positive and good. But if we don't obey, if we don't live it out, then really it becomes very prideful. And this is not what you would hope it to be. Verse 4, let's look at verse 4. Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden podium. We've kind of hit that already. You see the people stood up. And then the amen, amen. This is really kind of the so be it. This is, you bet, so be it. This is the way it should be. So those, these folks have actually received the word of God. Now, this kind of leads us into my next point, which is point three, which is expository. I guess I would say preaching. I know sometimes that's not well defined. It uh, may be a somewhat broad, but here when we're at this church, what we mean is we, we've studied it, we've tried to understand it, we've tried to unpack, we've tried to teach it, we've tried to live it out, and we try to do it in a way, if you're in Josh's How to Study the Bible class, you know he'll talk about who the author is, what's the audience. You got that? Okay, what's the occasion? What's the situation? How do you begin to apply it? So I know a few of you are in there, and that's, that's the hope when that class is offered that you can begin to really understand and gain insight into the scripture. One of the, uh, I guess it was probably, I think about Dan Woods, it was 17, 18 years ago. I was coaching a Nebraska Christian and Dan had asked me to take responsibility to be kind of the chapel coordinator at Nebraska Christian. So first thing I did was I kind of reviewed what we had done for chapels over the past few years and a little bit horrified in some ways because I hadn't paid attention and Dan was in his first year and so neither one of us knew what had been going on but I had kids in the school and I just figured chapel's chapel don't know who's speaking but it must be good and as I looked at what had been done only about half of the chapels uh, even came close to anything that was presenting or preaching the word of God anything like I would designate a lot of guest people a lot of singers music none of that's wrong but felt like chapel should be different I remember at the time looking at the master's university and going wonder what they do for chapel. And I thought, you know, I think I like what they're doing because they're preaching the Word of God. They're doing, they're giving it a full treatment. They're not just 20 minutes and out. And so even today, we've made that shift and pretty much if you, you go to Nebraska Christian, go to chapel, they're going to go at least about 30 to 35 minutes. Even then, I feel a little bit like I'm begging for more time. And I know so often you might go to some place and they might just get up and do 20 minutes and that's just not enough. I mean, when you think about trying to give context, describe what's going on in the scripture, maybe even going to other passages, trying to look at parallel passages or come back and do application, context, all that takes some time, right? Uh, it takes a little more than maybe 15 or 20 minutes. And then I've also seen times where I've had maybe a guest speaker and, okay, you've got 30 minutes. I know that's enough time to get right at it. They've got 15 minutes worth or 20 minutes with an illustration. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, we're going to get to the Word of God or not. So one thing we, we hope we can do is preach to those have, who have ears. Again, one quick thing in church history that was not helpful was there was a guy in Los Angeles probably 60 years ago now. He thought, I'm going to go neighborhood to neighborhood. I'm going to do a survey and ask, what do non-believers want in a church? And of course, they told him. And what they told him was not, as you can imagine, a 45-minute expository sermon, Right. It was all kind of dumbed down to a very short illustration, not much time. And next thing you know, he was beginning to have church to drive in theaters. How many guys remember driving theaters, right? I mean, that's kind of gone by the wayside. But eventually that guy built, with a lot of money, a cathedral. It's called the Crystal Cathedral. But over time, it no longer represents anything to do with the Bible. 
that building. It's gone basically to waste. And I've often thought about his desire was to please man rather than God. And uh, hopefully, as you look at this, you look at verses 9 and 10 and 11, we see what a response is here. We see a weeping response. It says, this day is holy to Yahweh your God. And then they say, do not mourn or weep. Do not be grieved for the joy of Yahweh is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, be still, for the day is holy. Be not grieved. This is kind of interesting to me because very rarely in American church do you have a pastor saying, stop, stop. You're repenting way too much. Like, just, just cool out, chill. Like, I don't think we've ever seen that scene, right? But this is kind of what's going on. But when the people are confronted with the Word of God, and it's like a mirror, we all know that when we look at the book of James in chapter 1, and we see as we look in the mirror, we see the sin there should be for the believer a response that is, as I look at that sin, I realize I need to repent and turn to the Lord. The Levites is interesting here because as you think about Ezra, so he's kind of preaching that big main message. And then you've got folks that are out in the crowd and what's going on is almost as if uh, there's a time when they're explaining probably in smaller groups. And actually, when you think about what is it they're trying to understand, uh, there's two things probably. The first thing is probably not the main thing, but I would say in some cases this is probably going on. That they've come out of this captivity from Babylon, and probably their, their Hebrew is a little not up to snuff. They've been in a different culture. So there could be a little bit of a translation issue where some of the people are like, I, I didn't understand that word, or what, what does that mean? So a little bit of translation. But more commentators would say this. They would say it really was they were giving them the understanding and probably how this applies, how it affects your life, what that means. And that's probably what's going on often. Because think about 42,000 people, and I was even thinking about Ezra just saying those words in front of people, and probably somebody clear in the back was going, I couldn't hear. Like, what did he say? What was that word? What did it mean? So it's a little bit like what we often do in deep groups, right? You get in small groups and you kind of break down maybe the message or you ask questions. And I know, I think Luann has me sharing with uh, the ladies' deep group this next week on the topic of election. Well, good luck for me, right? <laughs> but it was a good question that kind of came up was election, and I've already put them on to some sermons, not my sermons, and I'm going to come in, and I'm going to do my best to kind of talk that through a little bit, because that's a big theological issue, but at times we don't have time in a 45, 40-minute sermon to cover everything, and so there are times we need all the good Bible teachers we can get here. So anyway, uh, number five, point five. They chose to rejoice. Verse 12. Then all the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, to, and to get this, to celebrate with great gladness, because they understood the words which had been named, made known to them. So once there's a turning from sin and a recognition of that sin of repentance, there needs to be, and there is, joy for the believer. Yesterday, the my son Josh and Ashley and the boys, they got on the airplane and flew to Disney and I took them to the airport and, um, I, you know, of course I'm a proud grandpa, so if you ask me later I'll show you the photographs, but Ashley took some pictures as they were boarded on the airplane with the anticipation of Disney. I mean, come on, when you're eight and you're six, like, I mean, that is the greatest thing. I mean, the smiles, the, just the anticipation of hope and joy. And of course, I was just like, that's the cutest picture ever, right? I got it. Didn't, I didn't put it up here today because it's not appropriate probably in the sermon, but I, I can show you later. But as I thought about that, even this morning, I thought, 
there is a time and a place for joy. And when we walk out of here, we're together, there is, we, we should have that kind of a joy that is eight-year-old, like, oh, the hope, the anticipation, the, you know, we shouldn't walk out of here all kind of hum-glum and nothing's too exciting. And I think about Coach Ron Brown, I don't know how many times we've talked over the years how Husker fans can go crazy, right? You go to a Husker game and we shout and we get all excited and yet so oftentimes when it comes to the preaching of the Word of God, we have seemingly no passion. So as we close out here, I just want to say this, that as we think about God's Word, let's all be those who will, like Ezra, let's learn it, let's live it out, and then let's let it out. You like that? Coach, a long time. I know how to put those things. See, I know how to. I know how to steal from others too. I, uh, in fact, you know those words, those big words today, those those names. Um, it's really kind of a funny thing because I, I listen to about three different sermons and everybody from Swindoll to you name it all pronounce those names a little different. So I, I didn't I didn't feel too bad. And of course, Steve Lawson's joke is those fellas they're not from Southern Alabama. There's no Billy Bob's in that group. So I'm sure I didn't get that right. But here's one thing I can be sure: there was one thing that was perfect today. One thing perfect in our worship today. One thing. One thing perfect. And that was when I read the scripture. That's the one thing that's perfect. That's the reason we spend time up here. That's why we should come anticipating to worship, to hear the word, word of God unpacked. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for this morning, for the life of Ezra, for Nehemiah, uh, the way all of it points us toward your word, the importance of studying your word of learning it, being diligent students of your word, that we need to live it out. Not just get big-headed, not be tadpoles, but live this, what we read out, and then let it out. Share with others. That's what you put us here, to share with others and disciple others. So Lord, thank you so much for your word and your message. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.